All right. Now, last week we started doing this thing, the digging deeper sheets. And this is something that I want you guys to understand is not meant to just be a devotional. This is not to take home, stick to yourself. This right here is meant to go out and share with others. This is something you can discuss amongst yourselves, amongst your friends who can't make it, who can only watch online, or to people who never really get to open a Bible. And this is a chance to introduce them into the Word, to help them go deeper in their relationship with Christ. Because the whole reason we do this is so that we can learn the Word. But we learn the Word so that we can live the Word. So with that being said, go ahead and open your books, your Bibles to Acts 3. Um, we're going to be starting there tonight. Greg's back after a couple weeks. Let's get up, give it up for Greg. Let's welcome him up. He's going to do a great job. Thanks, thank you. Good evening. Um, I didn't know how many would show up because it's the One Direction concert tonight, and I didn't know how we were going to do tonight, so I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. Thanks for coming to the mine. I really do appreciate it. And as we were singing that, especially that very last song, thank you so much for doing that. Um, you know, that's the reason we're here, right? No other name but Jesus. And so whatever we discuss tonight, and we're in this great passage tonight, I want us to keep that in mind. Um, we have a couple of runners here with microphones, and so if this is your first time at the mine, please know that this is, we want to make this interactive. So if you have a question or a comment or a thought, um, please just raise your hand and one of our uh, valiant men over here will get a mic to you and we'll all get to hear your particular thought or comment. Take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 3, and as you do that, let me bring you up to speed. If you weren't here last week, uh, Pastor Tim Beal brought us down into Acts chapter 2 and particularly verses 42 to 47. And so as we enter into chapter 3, what we're discovering now is the birth of the New Testament church. And the reason that we're standing here today, guys, is because of Acts chapter 2. Power now has descended on people other than Jesus Christ. Jesus now has ascended into heaven. He said, I will return. But in the meantime, I'm going to leave you with a powerful witness, a powerful guide, a powerful teacher that is going to work through you if you will let him. And until I come back or God takes you home, whichever is first, that is what we're up against as believers today. Jesus will return and he will make things right and he will rule the nations with an iron rod. But until he does that, there is work to, do, to be done. And isn't it amazing that God said, I'm going to put the power into you. And I'm going to allow you to do what the scriptures say are many wondrous things. So the question I guess I want to ask this, this evening is, are we doing that? Are we watching God do many wondrous signs around us because we're involved and we want to see that? Take two people, for example. Take two women that work at Honeywell. One woman, uh, she picks up on the fact that when I become a believer, part of my responsibility, part of my really honor and freedom is to read the word of God, especially here in the States. And so she takes advantage of that. She's reading her word every day. She's coming, but she's failing. She's coming, but she's failing. But her trajectory is kind of headed this way. So she sees God just kind of starting to do some things, some rumblings around in her life. She comes to the mine. She goes to remix last night. She's coming to church. She finds herself in a small group. She finds some women that she can congregate around and pray with. And all of a sudden, her work at Honeywell doesn't just become a paycheck. It doesn't just become her job. It becomes her ministry. And she sees God at work through various means that only she could conclude, God, that had to be you. It had to be a God thing. 
And her friend, who's also a believer, really isn't living that kind of life. Came to know Jesus a few decades ago and just fell into the routine. Every now and then she'll come to church when she's not busy. So drop a few bucket uh, dollars in the bucket. And she goes to work and she's not seeing anything that God's doing. She's not making herself available to watch these wondrous signs that God is doing. And so she lives life basically for the weekend and wakes up one day and realizes, is this all there is? Because I keep hearing about these stories of people watching God in action and I'm not seeing any of it. And so the question I guess I want to ask tonight as we begin is, who is your Jesus tonight? Is your Jesus the one who has ascended, but still active and working here on earth? And you're seeing that constantly. Or is your Jesus a Bible story that you know one day he'll return and we'll all be in heaven? Watch what happens in Acts chapter 3. It's a phenomenal story. And we, the, the desire is to get to all, through all of chapter 3. We might not make it. It's really broken up into two halves verses 1 through 11 and 12 to 26. So let's just start in verses 1 through 11. Now remember, the the Spirit has descended upon Peter and John from Acts chapter 2. So the Spirit is alive and well now, and he's active. And he's about to do, if you go back up to verse 43, and everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many, what, wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Now, Luke, who wrote this book, could have simply just left it at 43. He could have just said, many wondrous signs are happening through the apostles. And I think the casual reader would have given him that. Okay, that makes sense. But but because Luke is both honest and he wants to prove a point, he gives an example right here in chapter 3. And it's a fascinating example. Out of all the examples he could have picked from... To start giving examples of wondrous signs, he gives this one. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, which is about 3 p.m., the hour of prayer. So, Stephen, I don't know if we have this back here, but um, here's what one rendition might look like. If we can throw that up on the screen, this is what maybe, this is where they're headed. So, this is maybe what the temple looked like, and this is the beautiful gate right here. And, you know, this is maybe, this is the portico behind them, which is going to become important in verse 12, I believe. So picture in your mind, Peter and John, uh, because they were faithful Jews at the time, having still this remnant of this is what we do is even as fishermen, we still go to the temple and pray multiple times a day. And so it's three o'clock in the afternoon. And that's part of their lifestyle right now is just to go to the temple and pray. So they're walking up to the temple here and praying. And maybe they get to right here in this corner over here where that warning sign is. Maybe they get a little further up toward the beautiful gate. And what happens is in verse two, a certain man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along. Whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. In order to beg alms of those who are entering the temple. Okay, a couple things we need to note here about this lame man. How long has he been lame? From birth. How old is he? 
Doesn't say, right? But guys, that's critical to know because of what's going to happen here. So go to chapter 4. Let's see, go to verse 22. Chapter 4, verse 22. This is the man they were talking about. For the man was more than how old? 40 years old on whom this miracle had been performed. Okay, so go back to chapter 3, verse 2. And let's just kind of throw that back into the text. And a certain man, 40 plus years old, who had been lame from his mother's womb, crippled from birth, was being carried around, whom they used to set down, how, how often? Every day. So I get the picture here, guys, maybe from, you know, 15, 20 years old. So at least for the last 20 years or so, every day at this gate, somewhere in this area... This lame man is being set down. We would call him a regular. You would know him by name. You would know what his ailments are. You would know his family history. If you went to the temple daily to pray, even multiple times, you would pass by John every day. And you would say, hi, John. And he would say, hi, Greg. You have any spare change today? I don't. I do. The next day. Hi, John. The next day. Hi, John. Well, Peter and John show up. And the lame man is at the temple begging for money, for alms. And when he sees Peter and John in verse 3, about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. Like he's been doing every day for the past two or three decades. Every day, day after day, day after day. And when Peter and John... Uh, 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 I'm sorry, and Peter, verse 4, along with John, so Peter and John are walking up to the temple, and this guy is sitting here, crippled from birth, 40 plus years old, and he says to, to Peter, hey, do you have any spare change? Peter, along with John, verse 4, fixed his gaze upon him, and we see that about five or six times in the book of Acts, this, 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 this phrase, fixing his gaze. In fact, when Jesus ascended up into heaven, it says that the disciples there that were watching this fixed their gaze upon the ascension. It's looking intently. It's having no other distractions around you. It's being just locked in. So this guy's down here on the ground, crippled from birth, more than 40 years old. He's looking up at somebody. And he says, hey, do you have any spare change? And rather than the usual comment that he would get, no, how's it going? I don't have any or I have some. Here you go. And we just. This guy who's walking with his buddy stops. And he turns to the guy and he fixes his gaze upon him. Now, whenever someone fixes their gaze in the scriptures, pay attention. Because something cool is about to happen here. Peter says... I don't possess, oh, I'm sorry. He said, fix his gaze upon him. And then he said, look at us. So this guy's just out there, change, spare change, change, spare change. And Peter stops and he says, look at us. Verse five, and he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. He thinks this guy's wealthy. He thinks I'm about to, you know, make my day's worth of living here. He has no idea what's about to come here. But Peter says, and, and, and guys, get verse 5 here. Expecting to receive something from him. 
Guess what he wasn't expecting to receive? He wasn't expecting to walk. He's expecting some change. He's expecting the same thing which happened to him every day, day after day, year after year, decade after decade. Maybe today I'll make enough to go home and put some food on the table. But tomorrow I'll be right back at the same place begging for money. And his life is about to change because of the power of Jesus. Jesus has left the planet, but his power still remains. Do you believe that tonight? This guy has no idea that his life forever will change in the next few moments. He's expecting something small and watch what happens. Peter says, I don't possess silver and gold. I love how Peter leads with that because you can just feel this guy's heart begin to sink a little bit. If you don't have what I'm looking for, then why are you wasting my time by having me fix my attention on you? What's interesting about Peter's comment, I don't possess silver or gold. Go over to Acts 4 again and go to, um, uh, let's see, go to 34, Acts 4, 34. Acts chapter 4, 34, for there was not a needy person among them for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them where? At the apostles' feet, who was an apostle? Peter and John. Go back to chapter 2, verse 44. And all those who believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and sharing them with all anyone that might have need. And we can assume that the way they did it was laid out in chapter 4. They were just bringing them to the apostles' feet saying, I don't know what to do here. Like They were like the, the first century Craigslist kind of a thing. Just dump it right here. And you guys, do, you know, you guys take care of it. And so here Peter is saying to this guy, I don't possess silver and gold. Now, what do you catch out of that based on chapter 4, verse 32? Did he have access to silver and gold? But he didn't possess it. And guys, what I find amazing about that, especially in our day and age today, is everything, even in ministry, seems to be about the bottom line. How much am I worth? What's my dollar value? And guys, Peter, even though he's about to just drop an incredible miracle on this guy, is dirt poor. He's, he's poorer than you are right now. He doesn't possess money. He was as poor as he was when he was a fisherman. Whatever he made as a fisherman, his income status changed none. He gains the title of an apostle. Guess what that's worth? Zero, which actually for most ministers today, that's about it, right? Get your degrees, get your titles. You still get the same amount of pay. You probably just get worked harder, actually, if you have more titles. And so Peter now has the title of an apostle, and he says to this guy, silver and gold, I don't have any, but what I do have, I give to you. Now, why is that special right there? Because Peter is claiming, I don't have much but here's what I do have. I, I don't have all the trappings. I, I, I got a boat maybe and, and some nets. 
I, I have a wife. But he says, I don't have silver and gold, but, but I'll give you what I have. And here's what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. And I just wonder if he paused right there. I wonder if he just knew right there. I'm about to change your life forever. So I just got to take in the moment. You know, like I wonder if he just kind of dramatically backed away just for a second, you know. Like just looked over to John and said, this is about to get crazy in here right now. You ready, John? I'm ready. Walk. And nothing happens. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. But look at verse 7. Who had to seize him by the hand? Peter did. Now, why would Peter have to seize this guy by the hand if he just, in the name of Jesus, through the power of Jesus, told this guy to walk? Just, just don't get all religious on me right now. Just think about this. How long has he been paralyzed? Since birth. Out of the three guys here, who's never walked? This guy. So guys, you have to get into the moment here. When Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk... I mean, think about this. Those of you who have had kids or any of us present that were a kid. Did you just come out of the womb and boom, I'm a 10 month old. You come out of the womb and what? Fumble around for five, six, eight, nine months. I asked my kids the other day, we were talking about this and I said, do you remember the first time you walked? And my 10-year-old said, I think when I was three. And I said, yeah, don't say that too, don't say that too many places. That's like an in-family thing, because no, it was about 10 months, right? Nine, 10 months. You see the baby start to boop, and then one little knee up, and then another knee up. And then how long are they crawling? I don't know, three, four, five months. And then one day they realize, I got two feet. But then they do this, right? And then, you know, you get your parent moment in. Just one step. Just one step. And they take one step and you think like, you know, my kid's going to be a genius. Because like all of us, they took one step. And they're doing this, right? They're not going to move from the one step, right? Until they realize, I, mean, I can't go anywhere now. So I got to take one more step. So they take one more step. And it's like this, this photo moment. And Peter is telling a guy who has lived four decades of his life never experiencing that to bypass all the natural inclinations and just start walking. Now ask yourself this. Why this miracle? Why does Luke record this miracle out of all the ones he could have recorded to kind of kickstart the signs of wondrous things? Why this one? And part of the reason, I think, guys, is because they didn't know him. This is a God moment, a preordained meeting. But Peter was ready to handle it with the power of Jesus Christ. And what was evidenced 
was the minute I tell this guy to walk and he does, who has known him for the past 20 or 30 years, but all the regulars who are coming to the temple day after day after day, there's going to be no doubt in anyone's mind when I tell this guy to walk, this guys he's a local celebrity at the temple. So when I say walk, you probably couldn't have picked a better guy to dump a miracle on than this guy, Joe the regular, whoever he is. And Peter says, walk, and look what happens. Seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And with a leap, he stood upright, and began to walk. Did you ever pick someone up like a little kid or something and they're lighter than you think they are? And you seize them, you pick them up and you actually like lift them up like off the ground. That's the way I get that. I get that kind of picture. Peter like says walk, seize them by the hand and the guy's like off the ground now. He's got like a 13 inch vert and Peter's like, uh-oh, puts him back down. This guy is now gone from lame to leaping in a matter of seconds. Because Peter says by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, Walk. And he stood upright and began to walk. And as he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. The, 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 in the Greek there, it's, it's, it's present active where he's continually doing it. You have to get this picture of a guy who is just leaping and walking and running and leaping. And, and he won't stop. It's like Peter's like, calm down. And the guy's like, I just can't. Like for 40 years I've been laying here. I've never stood upright like this. You've got to be kidding me if I'm going to stay, if I'm going to be quiet about this. And guys, that's what the power of God does to someone. The power of God tells someone, when I infect you with my power, you can't help but not get excited. And this guy is not only excited, but here's the kicker. Look at verse 8. And he, and with a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And as he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping. And what was the third thing he was doing? Praising God. Luke, he repeats, Luke repeats it in verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Now, don't miss this point, guys, because this is critical. Do you have the power to do the things Peter's doing? Uh, it would be an interesting discussion. We have a, we have a few minutes here. Uh, we got some runners out here. Raise your hand. Do you think this stuff still happens today? Why or why not? Kind of a loaded question, but I'm just I'm curious as to what the, the consensus is out here. Do we have men and women today walking around in the name of Jesus, telling lame people, blind people, people with leprosy, in the name of Jesus, walk. In the name of Jesus, see. In the name of Jesus, hear. In the name of Jesus, be cleansed. And we see it happening. And maybe you have a story. I don't know. Maybe you have a testimony of that. Just raise your hand. I'd love to hear that. And if you don't think that that's applicable for today, or if you don't think that that, this is just kind of a one and done here, Greg. That's fine as well. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see where we're at as a, as a, a body here. Yeah, uh, my parents had a, uh, a really dynamic ministry in South Africa in the early 80s. And my father would oftentimes have uh, meetings, healing meetings, and people would come up who were in wheelchairs or blind or yeah. 
deaf and he'd lay hands on them and they were healed instantly. So wow. and I, I saw that happen hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. Maybe even thousands. Do you mind me asking this little follow up question? Have you seen it here in the States? Can you give him the mic back real quick? I had a follow up question. Sorry about that. Not nearly as much. But you have seen it here. Yeah, I've okay. seen it here. On a percentage of, if you've seen it hundreds of times in South Africa, how much of that percent would you say you've seen it here in the States? Five percent. Okay. All right. Just, it gets my head around that kind of a number. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, right here in the red. Anyway, right here down front. Do you believe this is happening today? Why or why not? Have you seen examples of it? We'll go right here and then back to the red. I think what he was talking about is absolutely true. We also know that Shoresh that we support in India is, has a lot of miracles going on there. Yeah. And I think For those who don't reason, know who that is, just explain that a little bit. Uh, it's a ministry that we support in India. And he goes and helps lepers, poor, um, abandoned, orphans, prostitutes. And he helps all these people, and he's seen amazing healings out of car wrecks. He's seen amazing healings in life. He's seen amazing things done, absolutely, yeah. miracles. Uh, and God's working magic and, and, you know, huge through him. Yeah. But I heard him say the same thing when it came to America. It doesn't happen so much here. And it's a two-part thing that I think is going on. Um, he said, you Americans are just have so little faith. Hmm. Right, so if you don't believe in the name of Jesus, walk, and you don't believe it, what power does it have? Yeah, I could say in the name of Greg, walk, and mean the same thing. If I don't believe either yeah. one, you know, if I don't believe his name has power, then what power does it really have? Appreciate that. Thank you very much. I'll keep believe going. That the other reason it doesn't happen so much here is just because we're a society that. And I've heard Lynn kind of put it this way, too. We're a society that's comfortable. And what do I yeah. need really God for? I mean, I pay my mortgage. I pay the electricity. You know, I got a nice car. We're doing yeah. okay. The food's – we don't really need God. We think of, yeah. you know, him only if, you know, stuff is going wrong. Then, you know, yeah, I need him. But, you know, we're, yeah. we're content. We're okay. Why do we need God? Okay. Yeah, fair enough. I, I, we'll get to this gentleman in the red here. And let me just interject just one thought. Yeah, I mean, I hear that, and I know, and I agree, and yet, a lot of us have sick kids. Um, a lot of us have ailing parents, or... I mean, isn't there a need for healing in America? We may lack the faith, but was this guy healed because Peter had great faith, or... Why was he healed? Why do people get healed in the Bible? Is it all dependent on faith? Because the challenge with that is then, if it's not happening, if I haven't witnessed it, and I would say probably for the majority of us in here, if we have born and raised in the States, we haven't had the exposure to international activities and ministries, our, our, our examples may be pretty limited, if any. Am I lacking faith because of that? Am I, did I just not get in on the program? Is that somehow... So I want to balance, I guess, this conversation with, um, is it just dependent on if you have faith or not? 
And we'll take a look at a couple examples. Go ahead. Oh, I'm, I was uh, attending a church in Buffalo, New York, and a um, young lady there was in her early 20s, and it was uh, she was involved in a massive car wreck, and um, she was paralyzed from the waist down Yeah. And uh, in a wheelchair. And um, she used the time while she was in the wheelchair to uh, start praising and worshiping. She had a fantastic voice, so she sang worship songs, and she became very popular. But she kept on praising the Lord even through this, you know, this calamity. Yeah. And uh, 20 years later, in Alabama, she was at a, at a uh, prayer meeting, and the pastor there came up to her and said, get up and walk. And there's video of this. She actually got out of that chair, and she walks, and today she's dancing. And, wow. and she praises God, and, and it's a miracle. Yeah, it absolutely. Right here in the States. How else can you explain it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the naysayers, you know, they said, oh, she faked it. Who's going to fake being in a wheelchair for 20 years? Yeah. And, and who's going to fake those, those doctors with all the x-rays and everything else of the, yeah, absolutely. Of the injury? You know? Right now, there's <laughs> no other explanation. Um, here's, here's what I want to focus on, because it is a, sort of a controversial issue, um, and so I want to leave you with a couple of thoughts. Number one, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 28 to 30, lists kind of the what, what we would call the sign gifts. These are gifts that were dispensed to the New Testament church that have healing, speaking in tongues, gifts of prophecy. Um, and they were used for a specific purpose where God's point, and I believe this even in Acts chapter 3, I don't think God's point in Acts chapter 3 is healing this guy. I think the point God's trying to make is in verses 12 to 26. I think God is setting up Peter's message with an incredibly powerful introduction. I think God's giving Peter a great illustration here, but it's for the message. I think the healing that takes place apart from Jesus in the New Testament was based on God shouting out to these new groups of people, here's my message through this messenger. Where the focus really isn't on the messenger. It's all about the message. In fact, take your Bibles. I just want to show you something really quick because there's a second point here. If you're going to be about the act of healing. Now, hear me clearly. There's a distinction between God healing you today. Jesus healing you today. And somebody healing you in the name of Jesus. Do you understand the difference there? There's an, there, there's, is, people can pray at your bedside for you to be healed and you can be healed. God does that all the time. Probably we could go and, and one up each other on stories. But that's a different scenario today than someone showing up here on this stage saying, I have the gift of healing and now I'm going to start healing people. Do you understand the difference there? And in this scenario here, I just want us to be careful for two reasons. What is the point of you doing this today? Because Peter clearly is not going to take credit for this. Even the guy who just got healed wouldn't let Peter take credit. The guy who got healed, you would think, who would he naturally thank? Peter. Like, he's the one who extended his hand. Yeah, he said in the name of Jesus, but give me a break. This guy, like, no one else did that. This guy healed me. You would think he would throw a little kudos to Peter. In verse 8, praising God. Verse 9, leaping, jumping, praising God. He doesn't give Peter any of the credit. And do you know that Peter was okay with that? 
I just wonder sometimes if I take the stage up here and I have the gift of healing and we see sometimes in these other ministries, just bring them on up, just roll them on through factory style. I just wonder if it's really tempting up here. Did you see what so-and-so did today? Did you see what so-and-so took care of today? We just need to be careful of that. Okay. The second thing is this. Look at Matthew chapter 8. Um, and let me just give you four quick examples. Matthew chapter 8, look at verses 1 through 4. This is a leper being cleansed by Jesus. Same scenario in verse 3. And he stretched out his hand. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. And said, I am willing, be cleansed. Because the guy said in verse 2, Lord, if you're willing, make me clean. And Jesus said, I'm willing, be cleansed. Now look at verse 3 and the back half. I am willing, be cleansed. And what? And immediately... His leprosy was cleansed. Okay, just key in on that. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Look down in verse 5. Then the centurion's servant is healed. Same chapter, chapter 8, verse 5. Verse 13. And Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. Let it be done as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very hour. Near immediate. Matthew chapter 12. Go to a couple pages to your right here. Matthew chapter 12. And look in verses 9 through 13. We have someone with a withered hand and they question him saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath in order that he, they might accuse him. Now, again, the Pharisees come to Jesus. They're saying here, here's a guy with a withered hand. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus is, I think, trying to make a point to the Pharisees. I think healing the guy here in Matthew chapter 12 is secondary. I think he's just trying to get under the Pharisees skin here by saying, I can do whatever I want. And then he says in verse 13, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored to normal like the other. One more, uh, Matthew 15, a couple pages later. Verses 21 to 28, we have a demon-possessed woman here. And in verse 28, Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, your faith is great, be it done as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. So the only other comment I guess I want to make is, if you, if you want my personal opinion, I take an open but cautious view with the sign gifts. And I simply, that simply means that I think that they were particular for a particular audience. And in this case, I think it was the first century people where God dispensed some incredible, wondrous signs and moments for a particular time to show these people, this is what I can do. Now, can that still exist today? Absolutely. But you'll notice even from our examples tonight, where is the majority of that happening? It's happening, could, it could be argued, it's happening where it's needed, where the gospel is needed. Some people would argue that we are pretty saturated with the gospel here. But I will agree that even if we had a healing service, if you will, how many people would come and believe it? Or how many people would leave with speculation and skepticism and think, well, that's got to be a trick of some sort. If you're going to be about the, believing the gift of healing, I just I want to encourage us to believe this. All the examples we have in the scriptures that I can see are immediate healings. And most of them are external. I've watched a number of tapes on healing services. And, and again, this, I don't want to focus on that tonight necessarily. But often, and I don't know why, and again, maybe it's the American thing, but often we're healing like diabetes, we're healing ulcers, we're healing, you know, stomach cramps and, you know, just stuff that really is hard to prove from time to time. 
These evidences here in the first century, this guy was lame for four decades. You can't fake that. There's no other explanation when Peter says, in the name of Jesus, I say walk. And he raises the guy. And um, once again, immediately, things are different in his life. So if you're seeing that today through someone who claims to have the gift of healing, again, I just hold an open but cautious view. Can it still happen today? Yes. But should it happen the way it was happening here, I'm not terribly convinced it should. I think that that was for a particular time, and I'm comfortable with that. Which means this, if I haven't seen that lately, I'm not sure it's because I'm lacking faith to see it. Nor do I want us to get into a position, gang, of, okay, Greg said he showed us Acts chapter 3 tonight, and so, and I've got, you know, my son's got a broken leg. So I'm going to go home and in the name of Jesus, I'm going to heal this kid. Um, that could be dangerous. Because if it doesn't happen, what, why didn't it happen is the question. And what's our options? He lacked faith. I lacked faith. We both lacked faith. Neither of us are believed. You know, where do we go with this? So I just want to kind of have us massage and wrestle this issue. If and when you get to, to see it in action, it can be a powerful thing. Your life could be changed forever. If for whatever reason you're faithfully following Jesus and you're doing all that you can in your circles of influence and you just don't have happen to see that kind of thing take place, it's not because you lack faith necessarily. Okay, I'm just I'm a fan of I don't think you need to go to bed at night saying, how come I never get to see any healings take place? It might just be because God has you in a circle where your, your job, your efforts may lean more on discipling believers or influencing people that way rather than this was an evangelistic healing is what this was. The healing, guys, is very, I, it's very, very secondary. And I know right now this guy's bouncing around like a pinball thinking this was it. And if Peter and John had just left at that point, job's done. God's given me the gift of healing. Rise and walk. I'm out of here, then yeah, then I think we could question what was the point. But notice in those four passages I gave you, if you continue to read, Jesus' whole point when he healed was secondary to why he really came, which was the gospel. The healings, I think, are a means to get there that I'm not sure a lot of us will be privy to this side of heaven to witness. If you get a chance, praise God for that. Should you expect it? Eh. But it, nonetheless, it happened here. Okay, so that's my little sermonette on healings. Um, because that's not really what I want to talk about. I want to talk about how is Jesus alive in your life? Because if you don't witness healings, can he still be alive? What kind of Jesus do you have in your life right now? Is it the same kind of Jesus that has the power to heal people? Uh, we were in chapel today. I teach at Valley Christian High School and we were in chapel today and the guest speaker came up and he talked about John chapter 11. If you'll recall, John chapter 11 is this magnificent passage where Jesus takes Lazarus out of the tomb. And I won't go through all the details, but if you have a chance, read John chapter 11 at some time and, and watch the power of Jesus in action. Because in that particular chapter, we see Jesus's humanity come forward when he he physically waits two days to go even visit Lazarus when he catches news that Lazarus is sick. And Lazarus is one of his buddies. And he catches news that his buddy is ill and he says, I'm going to wait two days. I physically will not go see him. And no one can understand it. Even Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. 
And Mary and Martha, then when Jesus finally comes, they're laying into him. Our brother's dead now. Where were you? And it's interesting because Jesus knew why he waited. And yet in verse 35, it says, and he wept. They were all weeping. And Jesus got caught up in the humanity of losing his friend for a moment, for four days. And he wept. It's a very interesting scene because he knew what he was about to do. Why would he weep? Fascinating passage of both his deity and humanity right there in the same moment. And so he basically calms them down. And then he says, roll away the tomb, roll away the stone. And then he says, what, Lazarus, come out. And here's this guy who's been dead for four days. Tombs rolled away, stones rolled away. And this guy wrapped in all kinds of linens that's decomposing and was decomposing. And even right before he says that, if you read that particular chapter, the people in there say, um, before you roll away the tomb or roll away the stone, Jesus, or before we do, please know, I think Martha said it, there's an incredible stench in there. Like there's going to be an odor that's unbearable, which I just love that scene there because she recognizes, listen, I've got faith that this could happen, Jesus, but I need you to know on a human level, this guy has been decaying for four days. It's got to rot in there. And Jesus says, roll away the tomb, Lazarus come out. And sure enough, Lazarus gets up and walks out. And guys, as he was preaching today, this guy was preaching today, and I knew what I was speaking on tonight, I just couldn't help but be in awe of the power of Jesus Christ. Is that the same Jesus you know? Is that the same Jesus that's alive in your heart? Is that the same Jesus you get up to every morning? Yeah, I may not see someone that goes from lame to jumping around. So how does Jesus being alive in your life look like for you? What does that look like on, for most of us, the daily grind, Monday through Friday? Can I just share with you a little bit about what I think that should look like? I think in our day and age in America, where we are so passive and so, we are the church of Laodicea, I'm convinced of that. We are so, like, we don't even know we're wealthy and we don't need Jesus. We're so lukewarm that Jesus says, I'm just about to vomit you out of my mouth. Do you understand what I'm doing and what I'm about And how much power I possess that I've given to you while I'm gone from earth. And we squander it every day. In just the daily decisions. Not the big ones necessarily. But those daily decisions. I was talking to my students. um, I teach upper division. And I asked them this question. Um, We were talking about a couple different issues. But I asked them this question. And... um, It just basically says that you filled out this entry form for once in a million, million dollar chance sweepstakes or whatever. And filling out the form like every other form, you had to sign this thing or you read question number 10, which said, I'm not related to any employee. And then a couple weeks later, you get this email from a cousin who you've never met, never heard of. And she's typing this email saying, hey, I finally found you. And goes on to tell you that amongst doing other things in life. She now works for the one in a million chance at a million dollars incorporated as a part-time consultant. Two weeks go by and wouldn't you know it, vans roll up, balloons are pulled out, big oversized check, people are dancing in the streets, knock on your door, are you such and such? Yes, I am. Would you come out here? Cameras are shoved in your face. You just won the sweepstakes. You're a million dollars richer now. But by law, and I apologize in advance for asking this, but I have to ask this, is everything on your entry form still correct? What will you do? 
And as I asked these 18-year-old students, class after class after class, I said, what would you do? How many of you would still say yes? Between 75 to 80% of every class I taught today, I'd still say yes. Private Christian high school. Kids that love Jesus. Kids that have the power of Jesus in their heart. How many of you would still take the million dollars? I'd take it in a heartbeat. It wasn't even like a question. Like they didn't even wrestle with that. Boom, right here. And dare I ask this group, how many of us would say, yeah, everything's still accurate, even though you know it's not anymore? See, guys, this is where the power of Jesus, for most of us, just in our daily grind, plays out. It's when the pressure is on, when we have to make this decision, I either live for Christ or I don't live for Christ. I either take the power that's in me and I say what I need to say, which in this case would be funny thing that just happened. I got this email two weeks ago and my first cousin never met her and now I really don't like her. She actually works for your company. Go figure. Out of all the companies on the planet she could work for, she works for yours. And I just hate life right now, you know, kind of a thing. So no, so no the form's not correct anymore. I don't know what you're going to do, but I apologize for all the balloons and everything, but And what was interesting is I asked them this question, uh, the one before it, and this one just, you don't have to read it, but it goes on to say, you're a biggest Cardinal fan ever. Um, It says, um, uh, your non-Christian friends want to come to your youth group with you. You're teaching this Sunday. The game's at 2 p.m., church is at 10 a.m. And so you're going to bring your non-Christian friends and you're going to teach, they're going to watch you teach in action. And then you're going to drop them off after church. You're going to go home, get changed. Go to the game, tailgate begins, party begins, you have the best, it's going to be a great Sunday. And then Thursday, you get an email from NBC saying, hey, we had to change our schedule, blah, blah, blah. And now the game's at 10 a.m., right in the middle of church. What will you do? And I asked them this question first, and do you know that 99% of them said, I'd give up my tickets. Nothing more, nothing more matters, they call me Tonk, nothing more matters, Tonk, than having non-Christian friends come to church and... You know, praise God, all religious and all. I thought, wow, this is a great group, man. I'm like, I'm doing something well here teaching these youngsters. Until one question later, I said, how many of you would say yes? Boom, I'd say yes. I'd take that money in a heartbeat. What just happened here? It's justification. It's rationalization. I said, why did you say no to the one and yes to the other? And they said, it's a million bucks. And here's what I said, and I didn't mean to get all Jesus on him, I guess, but I said, a million dollars versus your non-Christian friends having an opportunity to come to, to know Jesus, okay? You said that I would take the million dollars, but I still want them to come to know Jesus. And I said, guys, here's the problem I have with that. The problem I have isn't with you taking the million dollars, because again, most of us probably would. The problem is 50 years from now. And some of you have had these conversations. You've got kids now. You have grandkids now. What if you said no to this? What if you just, in the power, in the name of Jesus, no, it's not accurate. Small little miracle in our day and age, right? 50 years from now, 
you're just kind of doing your thing or 20 years or whatever. And hey, grandma, tell us the story again. You don't want to hear it. Tell us the story. No, you don't want to hear it. Tell us one more time. All right. Anyway, so the car rolls up. Guy shows up with this big check. And we, we had next to no, we're paycheck to paycheck in this million dollar thing. And I mean, you would have your, your, your heritage, your legacy with their gaze, their eyes fixed on you. And you said no? Yeah, I just, I said no. Really? Like, you said uh, it's not accurate? Yeah, well, what happened? They just, they drove away. Did you ever get the million? No. Because, Grandma, I got to go date some guy. And I don't know what choice to make, but if, if you could say no to a million, certainly I can say no to this temptation. I didn't study that well for my test, grand, granddad. But because you said no, I, I'm not going to cheat tomorrow. We'll flip it around, right? The 80, 90% of us that would say yes, 30, 40, 50 years from now. Grandma, tell us the story again. Really, you want me to tell it? All right, tell us. It. Tell it. All right, well, they came and I had a first cousin and I said yes, took the million. And then what happened? Well, six months later, I had spent like 800000 of it. And then the company found out and they came to get the million back and I didn't have any. So they, well, we went bankrupt. They repoed everything I had. Actually, it was illegal for me to lie like that. So I actually spent, I, I did some jail time. Woo. Appreciate that, Grandma. That's a wild story, man. So I got to go date this guy, Grandma. And based on your example, it's all a play, right? It's all a fair game now. Based on your story, Grandpa, it's, you know, in the pressure when the, when the heat is turned up, you got to do what you got to do. Have you ever been in a situation where you actually did what was right and it actually worked to your benefit? Have you ever been in a situation where you did what was right and God actually blessed the decision? Um, you say no to this and the company turns around and says, hey, we've gotten so much publicity from you in front of everyone saying no that we're going to cut you a check for half million, a million, maybe two million. Because that's rare today for you to stand up. Guys, that's what I'm talking about in terms of the power of Jesus in you today. I'm not necessarily talking about the big miracles. If you get a chance to witness those or be a part of those, praise God. But what about the daily miracles? What about the daily living where you have to stand up in light of sin and depravity and say to the world around you, that's a no-brainer. What do you mean is my, is my entry form correct? No, it's not. And I didn't do anything to deserve this, but it's not correct. I can't lie about that. That's a no-brainer for us as a church, right? Until I had 80, 90% of my seniors say, I'd take in a heartbeat. That's the next generation of believers right there. That's some of your kids right there. <laughs> That's some of my kids. Guys, we got to lead out on this. we got to lead out with Jesus' power. Um, interesting side note. Uh, I'll give a million dollars to anyone who can tell me who this is. Anyone know who this is? Fascinating story, actually. Um, it's uh, Swedish industrialist. It's Alfred Nobel. And you may know this story, but Nobel, um, his brother died, and they thought Nobel had died, and he was the inventor of dynamite. 
And so they wrote an obituary about Alfred Nobel. He hadn't even died yet. And they called the obituary, the title of the obituary was Merchant of Death has now died. And basically the local paper said, we're like, we're kind of glad he died because he made stuff that killed people and it cut him to the heart. So that for, he died eight years later, but in that eight year period, he had raised or given away $9 million to start the Nobel Peace Prize. And now that's a prize that's given away every year for someone that's doing a work in humanitarian efforts. All because he was bothered by the fact that his legacy was going to be tarnished. He didn't know people thought that about him. It's the little things we do, guys. It's not the big things that I'm convinced that really gets us in a, in a bind. If you, want, if you want to get that woman I started with, the Honeywell woman that sees work as a ministry, you've got to make some choices, guys. But those choices are purely based on God working through you because you're into him. Peter and John just had the Holy Spirit dumped on them. They are dripping with Jesus right now. It would have been so unnatural for Peter to walk by that guy and not heal him. Is that the way we live our lives today? Would it be so unnatural for me to like be presented with that option and say, of course not. That's just ridiculous. I, I, it needs, Jesus needs to be natural in you and me. And when that happens, you're going to have a Peter experience because now, when Peter heals that guy, and this guy's bouncing off the walls, Peter has an audience. A captive audience. And now he gets this beautiful opportunity to tell them about Jesus. Look at verse 12 real quick. Give me, just give me a couple minutes, I'll wrap this up. They were taking note of him, verse 10, as the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he was clinging to Peter and John, and I don't think he was clinging there because um, he couldn't walk. I think he was clinging just out of shock and awe that this was really happening. All the people ran together. Now listen to this. All the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon Full of amazement. Now watch this, guys, because this is an opportunity here. Peter is not caught up in the miracle. It would be synonymous with, Did you, is the entry form correct? No, it's not. And now you're ready for the next question. Why would you have said that? You're not, you're not, you're not like wondering about, wow, look at me, I just said no, I just like, you know, stood up for Jesus there. You're saying no with the hopes that God opens that door and that the next question comes up. Why did you tell the truth there? That's why you said no. It wasn't just to say no, it wasn't even to have a story that your grandkids would appreciate. The reason that you and I say no in that situation, and it isn't even because it's the right thing to do. The reason we say no there is that the hopes that one of those reporters out there would say, why in the world would you have done that? And basically, translation, Christianese, tell us about Jesus is what that question just said. Not, why did you say no? Tell me about Jesus is what that person was asking right there. And now you have a captive audience. Is that why we make right choices? It's not to raise my kids up to not to do the same thing. I, of course I want that. Absolutely I want that. But guys, grandma, tell us the story. So I said no. And then the reporter said, why would you say no? Everyone I know would say yes. And I got the opportunity with the cameras in my face to say, well, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. 
And the reason I have the power to say no is because Jesus died for my sins. And Jesus died for your sins. Do you want to know Jesus Christ? What happened, Grandma? Ah, they shut the cameras off and drove off. But one reporter stuck around. One reporter was cut to the heart. And one reporter came to know Jesus that day. And I'm going to see that reporter in heaven as a brother or sister in Jesus. Grandma, Jesus is living in you. Jesus is powerful in you. I guess, yeah. That's what I want for us, guys. We give you these little sheets here, not so that we can learn more, but so that we can sharpen each other and go out and have some coffee and talk about these things so that we can pray together, brother to brother, sister to sister, and say, Jesus, give me an opportunity. I love you more than life itself. You're, you're why I live. You're the reason I live, as we sung before. Give me an opportunity. Just watch what he does. I don't know how else to tell you that. Peter's going to have an opportunity here. We're out of time, and so we'll pick it back up. How about we pick it up with his message, chapter 3, verse 12, next week. Does that sound good? All right. All right, let's pray. God, thanks for today. And Father, thank you that um, you're alive and well 2,000 years after our Savior's death. It pains me, God, when I see believers passively walking through life, not, not because you're not uh, powerful enough to still accomplish your will. It pains me because this side of heaven, we get to see some pretty awesome things in our families, in our friends, at work. I want to get in on that, Father. I, I, want, I want this group to get in on that. I want us to come back next week where maybe we spend the whole hour story after story of how you've been at work. Because we're just following your will. We're following the word. We're loving you and we're making right choices. We're not living with guilt and we're not steeped in sin and we're just, we're, we're open and available. And so God, if some of us here tonight are just, we're just racked with some guilt, some, some burdens that we just need to, before we can just be freed up, we need to get them out in the open and confess them. God, would you put someone in our path that we could just talk with tonight, tomorrow, that we could just, just to be there for them. God, that we would confess and repent and just be available this week to, to watch you in action. I, th I think, Father, it brings you great joy. I, I think you gather the angels around, Father, often and say, watch this. Watch, watch, watch this faithful servant down in Chandler, Arizona. I, I'm, I'm going to do a, a miracle right in front of them or through them. W watch this. Watch, watch how I give them an opportunity to talk about me to this captive audience now. I think you delight in that, Father. Because one day your son is coming back and we will watch our Savior in action rule the nations. I can't wait for that. I can't wait for heaven. And for most of us in this room, man, half of our life is probably over. Could the, could the back half maybe be um, spectacular? <laughs> And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you guys next week.